Welcome to the Vegas Gang Podcast for February 26, 2009. A hearty welcome to our panel today. Uh, Mr. Dave Schwartz, Dr. Dave Schwartz, excuse me, from UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. Good afternoon, Dave. Good afternoon. Jeff Simpson from the Las Vegas Sun and In Business Las Vegas. Welcome, Jeff. Greetings, guys. And Chuck S. Monster from the Heartland at Vegastripping.com. What's up, Chuck? Yes, greetings from uh, Covington, Kentucky, the home of Columbia, Sussex, which is where I am here visiting relatives. Excellent. My name is Hunter, and I run RateVegas.com, and uh, we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about today. I think the first thing right off the top, uh, this week, Boyd Gaming made a bid for a bunch of Station Casino's assets. Um, Station, after going private a few years ago, has recently been struggling in the current economic environment. And so Boyd made this offer um, to buy a bunch of a bunch of properties from Station. At, in some cases, their their interest in properties like Green Valley Ranch and Aliante Station, but also um, full ownership of some other properties like Texas Station, Santa Fe Station. Wild Wild West, the Fiestas, um, I think there's some other neighborhood casinos that are in there, and it sounds like even some of their tribal casino management deals are included, depending on who you listen to. Um, the offer price, $950 million. Um, <laughs> Jeff, I want to start with you. Uh, what are Boyd's chances of pulling this deal off? Well, that exact deal, I would say zero, um, and if you could go less than zero, it would be less. Um, but I, but, and it really comes down to a control thing. I think um, it's not all dollars. Um, Boyd has put um, Station in a very awkward predicament. Station was hoping to be able to work, you know, negotiate only with their um, bondholders, um, the secured, the secured. Um, creditors and the unsecured creditors, and they were trying to jam a pretty unpleasant deal down the throats of their unsecured creditors by making a deal with the secured creditors. You know, they figure if they can get just a majority of the secured creditors to agree, they'd be able to float this by the bankruptcy court, which is probably true. Um, but throwing a monkey wrench into their plans was Boyd which took a look at what station was offering and said hey we can make an offer that would that probably can prevent um 50 more than 50% of the um secured creditors of station from accepting that station deal now whether this sends station back to the you know workbench to come up with a deal that's more generous that would top the Boyd offer or whether station might, you know, negotiate with Boyd. Um, I find that, um, I find the, um, the idea that station would willingly give up properties to Boyd to be, um, unlikely. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't properties that they would be, you know, more or less inclined to give up. Um, but, um, the deal is, as it was, as it was offered, I, I find, almost I think it's definitely a certainty that that deal will not happen um, but you know Boyd if they're interested in upping the price maybe narrowing the number of properties or expanding the number of properties um, you know it's possible a deal could get done um, it sort of reminds me of those early days after 
MGM made its offer for MGM Grand made its offer for Mirage Resorts. Um, you knew that it was a shot across the bow of win. Um, you just didn't know how it was going to play out. Um, and, and I think it's the exact same situation here. It's absolutely not friendly, um, and uh, it is, you know, they are taking advantage of the weakness of their competitor, um, hoping to gauge an edge for, the edge for themselves. At worst, Boyd ends up making Station pay a lot more money to control those properties, which makes them less competitive in the marketplace. At best, they get a deal on some properties, and they believe in the Las Vegas locals market. Um, you know, Bill Boyd and uh, Keith Smith. Boyd has always been sort of a slow-moving, sure-footed competitor. He may not be speedy, but he will drive a great bargain. If you if you all remember the deal he did with um, Harris, Harris wanted the Barbary Coast property to complete its um, ownership of assets um, from Flamingo Road North on the east side of the Strip. Um, you know, Loveman made no secret of, of his desire to get that property and uh, pursued Boyd um, strongly after Boyd had got the property when they bought Coast. And, you know, Bill Boyd drove an insanely high bargain um, getting Boyd, um, getting for Boyd um, the whole Westward Ho site plus additional property, the McDonald site, um, in one of the, you know, one of the, you know, great land um, deals that you that we've seen on the strip um, you know it was a situation where both sides got what they want but Boyd certainly you know did better I think from almost anyone's estimation so um, I think you can certainly say that Boyd will not come out a loser in this deal unless somehow the price got driven way up and they still did a deal but station and station's owners particularly the Fertitas um, are in some, uh, you know, they have definitely been put in a much more tenuous position. I, uh, you know, some some people in commenting on this and some uh, blog comments that I read were, you know, <clears throat> wondering why Boyd would want to make this play given that they suspended their echelon project. But me personally, I mean, I don't see those two things as connected at all. I think they see this opportunity. And they have cash. They have cash that they can draw down from their revolver. They don't even have to go out and arrange the financing. And um, they're going to try and take it. And I just think it's, you know, sort of uh, capitalism 101 here that they're that they're <clears throat> saw this and they're going to try and close this close in on this while the window is open, if it well, is open. Now, the, now what they offered for the dollars they offered for the properties they'd get, it would be right from the start. Income accretive, it would bring a lot more money in than what they'd be paying um, in interest on the debt that they have. These properties, I mean, you're talking about, one, you know, Green Valley Ranch, one of the most profitable locals casinos. It would be a half interest in Green Valley Ranch, half interest in Aliante, which hasn't ramped up yet, but it certainly is in a is in a um, good location. And then the Northwest Las Vegas Valley, which is pretty strong, Texas and Santa Fe Station, um, and so. It's, it certainly would not hurt Boyd. If they could do the deal at this price, they would be a, a strengthened company. They'd have more money coming in. Um, that would drive their leverage down, not up. 
just because of how much, just because of the increase in cash flow, would be more than their increase in debt, um, or not more in absolute terms, but as a ratio, it would it would it would uh, improve. So, you know, one thing that's sort of interesting, um, we've talked before about Borgata in uh, Dave's hometown of Atlantic City, and uh, um, the thing about Borgata is that as much as everyone knows Boyd wants to buy Borgata, but Boyd is sort of has its hands tied right now. If it bought Borgata, that asset would come on the Boyd books, and all of a sudden they'd have a lot more debt, and the cash flow that property generates isn't enough to it would it would increase the company's leverage, not reduce it. So they can't do that deal right now with MGM Mirage just because of their cash flow covenants. But if they did the station deal first, the the I believe that the increased cash flow from the station deal for the relatively small cost of nine hundred and fifty million, that would then allow them to do a Borgata deal, or it would come much closer to allowing them to do it. So I don't expect the deal to happen, but stay, but Boyd absolutely has, you know, an incentive to try and get a good deal out of station if they could, because um, it would then allow them to do some of the other things that they want to do. So we may see, we may be seeing Boyd looking a few moves down the chessboard here. Now, what's interesting is uh, I was looking at some of the charts as I was preparing the notes for the show, and just from being reminded that Station went private at $82 a share uh, only you know, a little bit over a year and a half ago, about somewhere in that range, uh, not that long ago. And uh, to, to see how far it's fallen, I mean, and then to even taking an even more recent figure, I think Aliante costs what six fifty to build or something like that, somewhere in the mid six range. Uh, to have that, you know, it granted a fifty percent share, but that included with all the rest of these assets. Obviously, nine fifty is a low offer, but you know, plenty of room to deal up a little bit if uh, if the numbers still pencil out. But it will be interesting to see what station decides to do and what they can do. I mean, my understanding is that the the participants in the in the uh <clears throat> enterprise that owns station, Colony and the and the Fertitas basically, um, especially the Colony side, are not really flush with cash right now. I mean they have their own other businesses that are having difficulties. So it will be interesting to see how this all shakes out. Uh, how would the how would this, this pizza pie get cut? And I think it might be easier to to do it from the station side, what would stations be left with? Should this be, go through? The, they would be left with Sunset Station, Palace Station, Red Rock Resort, and Boulder Station, and conceivably one or two of their tribal tribal development deals. Um, nobody on either side of the deal is really certain about how those development deals. Um, fit in terms of the um, property company and the operating company. Um, and so um, I think most people expect that they that the acquire, that if Boyd was able to buy it, they would also get the um, remaining you know year and a half or whatever it is on the tribal management deal near Sacramento, but that the other deal that they wouldn't get the other deals, but others aren't sure. So that remains up in the air. But station would be left with, those four properties that they already have significant land loans on, um, Sunset, Palace Station, Red Rock, and Boulder. Boyd would be getting the Fiestas 
and the remaining four station casinos. And I assume there's been no mention of intellectual property, so I assume nothing like boarding pass names would be included in a deal like this. Oh, certainly not. Boyd would put them on their slot program immediately. So do the, do the Green Fund, do they have any right of first refusal in any of these agreements? Would they be able to uh, ixnay this or, you know, buy out whatever chunks they can. And as a a disclaimer, I work for the Greenspun Company. So, um, yeah, they do have a half share, not only in Aliante and Green Valley Ranch, but they also, the deal would also include some smaller locals' properties. They have a a Wildfire Casino and a Barley's Casino um, in suburban Henderson, as well as a uh, little slot bar called the Greens. Um, all of those assets are fit, are are owned by a partnership that's 50% station, 50% Greenspun. Um, station also station gets half of the uh, the uh, profit from those enterprises, and then gets a uh, revenue-based share for managing those properties. Um, station would. Um, the Greenspuns, to the best of my knowledge, do not have a right of first refusal on on those sales, but um, do have some kind of rights in terms of um, who can manage the property. But um, almost certainly, if Station does the deal, they would have that negotiated in advance. And 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 to be to be frank, I doubt that anybody would ever object to you know Boyd Gaming. Boyd Gaming is a very well thought of, highly thought of company in the valley. I'd be surprised if uh, if uh, anyone had an objection to them as a uh, partner. It'd be interesting to see if uh, if any if something like this does go down. If if Boyd would continue uh, with a future Viva type development, considering that the Wild Wild West would be one of the properties included here. Well, actually, that site, the property site, Wild Wild West, is one of the operating companies, but all the land that they bought is not included, just like all the land surrounding Palace Station is not included as well. Those are all – all that land is, um, you know, there's there's big land loans that um, are uh, are – tied to those properties and they are not included in Boyd's buyout offer. So maybe with oh maybe with Wild West what they basically do it's kind of like uh when a when a team acquires a player who's got less than like a year left in their contract before the trade deadline and pretty much rents a player for the playoffs. Maybe it'll be something like that where they'll kind of rent Wild Wild West, take the cash flow, and then once the economy picks up, uh, station will buy it back and then develop it into Viva and they'll have a full, you know, they'll be able to develop that, you know, uh, totally go forward. I think that would be, you know, with a couple with companies that get along. I think that that is that might might be a sensible solution. And uh, you know, maybe if these two sides can work something out, it could be. Um, I was talking before the show with Hunter about the the background of these two companies, and there is no love lost um, between. Um, the station owners and Bill Boyd. Um, I know that you know. Just you know, I I, I have talked to both of these um, parties many times over the past ten years, and uh, they're very sensitive to um, what their competitors are up to. Um, if 
you know, if you just look at the property holdings that the company had, um, when I came into the market, Station had just recently opened Sunset Station. Um, but if you look at the remaining Station properties, Boyd had a big site. Uh, had a had a gaming site right next to Texas Station that they never developed. They had billboards next to it. Station owned a big property across the street from Samstown. Um, they they built they bought properties, sort of like knives that they held to each other's throats. Um, and um, there was definitely sensitivity to the media coverage their companies their competitors got um, and. You know, unlike Michael Gaughan, who operated a couple locals casinos on the west side of the Strip, the Orleans and Gold Coast, and then later the Sun Coast, you know, he was sort of, you know, sort of the third guy that didn't really compete too directly with anyone outside of a little bit of competition with Palace Station. But on the east side of the valley, the competition was fierce. You had um, the, you know, the station people had opened up um, Boulder Station, you know, right, you know, just um, just west of Samstown, which was a direct shot at them. And then later, on the other side of Samstown, opened up Sunset Station. Um, and that's why, you know, then, then the Boyds went out and bought property next to Texas Station out on Rancho, Rancho Road. So you have, um, you have, um, two sides that have always been very, very aware of what the other side's doing, and they didn't like each other very much. Um, they follow different strategies. Station has been hyper-aggressive, um, and I would characterize their management as sort of cocky about the way, about their strategy of owning so many sites, so many future development sites. Um, their their conflict has played out in the political world um, when um, Boyd was able to persuade a county commissioner to vote their way when they wanted to develop a casino in southwest Las Vegas in Spring Valley. Station had, you know, their people send out a mail hit piece on the county commissioner, Lance Malone. Um, they sent out flyers saying you just can't trust Lance Malone, and they were fined uh, a few hundred thousand, I think 400,000 bucks by the State Gaming Commission for doing that. These companies hate each other. Um, they may not hate each other as viscerally as they used to, but they hate each other nonetheless. I, I'm curious, assuming this thing goes through, however it goes through or doesn't go through, how does how is this potentially going to affect uh, Stardust Station? <laughs> Stardust Station. Echelon, well, on the call today, as an adjunct to this, Boyd, Boyd – uh, had their earnings announcement today, and they did a conference call in which I think many people were hoping to get some more details on this deal, which there were none. Um, but they did, again, briefly touch on Echelon, and they basically stated that they still intend to go through 2009 evaluating um, when to sort of jump back into the market. Uh, but it sounded to me like they you know, did, were not backing away from eventually completing that it, at a scale at least similar to what as it was originally envisioned. I mean, what, what they've said recently, I mean, they have allowed themselves maximum wiggle room, maybe reducing the scale of development, maybe developing it in phases, maybe bringing in partners, um, new or old partners, to help develop it, and they're not committing to any timetable. So they've given themselves, you know, maximum maneuverability there. I don't think this deal really has anything to do um, with 
or what will affect Echelon uh, much um, in any way. Um, you know, they would be able if they did, were able to do this deal, which once again I don't think they will. But it would it would start. They'd be able to start paying down debt immediately. Um, this deal, if Boyd could do it, I have no problem saying would be an awesome, incredible deal for Boyd. I just don't think it happens because station guy, the station guys aren't going to give up control that easily. These guys believe in themselves. They think they're the only ones who really understand and know how to run a locals casino the best way, and they're and and they think that you know they're the ones who should be doing it. They built these places and they want to keep running them. So before we before we move on, I do want to ask one last question, which is what what stations next move? I mean, what what are their options as far as deferring this? Um, what do they have to do to uh, you know to not be basically be forced into some kind of deal like this? They gotta give. They gotta um, sweeten the pot for the secured debtors at least. Probably some kind of sweetening for the unsecured debtors, um, enough to persuade them that that offer from Boyd or some future offer from Boyd isn't better. And it's a tough road row for them to hoe. I'm not convinced, you know, that they have the cash to do that. Um, certainly, their partners don't. And so Boyd has put them in a box. Um, that doesn't mean that the deal gets done at this price, but it, certainly Boyd has the potential to drive station to the bargaining table. Whether that will happen, you know, whether they could come to a deal, um, what the scope of the deal would be, all unknown at this time. Well, whatever happens, I, I give Boyd points for uh, creating an interesting story and for seizing an opportunity, uh, no matter how it works out, because um, they definitely uh, are trying to make the best of a situation that is not good for a lot of other folks. So it'll be very interesting to see how it unravels. Um, next up, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, Las Vegas and earnings, which is uh, specifically Wynn Resorts earnings. Um, Wynn Resorts reported their Q4 earnings this week. Uh, I think as most expected, uh, not great. Uh, a loss of over $150 million, though I think most of that was due to a sort of a one-time tax issue. Uh, still not, not good numbers, especially when you compare with the year-ago quarter. Um, in Las Vegas, they reported – they are now reporting Encore, even though it was only open for about a week in 2008. Um, it's interesting. They're not going to be breaking out those numbers. They're going to be reporting on them as a single facility, so we won't have that much transparency into how the individual components are doing as it goes forward. But they did report an occupancy rate for the complex, which was 80% for Q4, which is um, very, very low, significantly lower even than what Las Vegas Sands had reported um, two weeks ago for for the uh, Venetian Palazzo complex. So, you know, they, they had their conference call as well and where they talked about uh, what they were trying to do to uh, to deal with that. Um, I, I don't – I assume some of you also listened to the call. My take from it was that they were – it was fairly somber in my, in my view, um, though – just, I mean, which I, but I think that's a reflection of reality more than anything else. I mean, they definitely were playing down. Um, they were trying to tell people that things are bad, and they weren't sugarcoating it for anyone. Um, but it was interesting to uh, to listen to the call and have them explain explain their results. Now, their balance sheet looks <clears throat> somewhat okay. I mean, they've got a bunch of cash that they've they've got squirreled away, and Macau did all right. But 
you know, did anybody take anything away from this call uh, that would be worth um, getting into? I mean, it was another interesting uh, call from the Win folks, which is sometimes better better theater than other times. But um, still, <laughs> did anyone else? Did did you guys? Did anyone that listened agree that the tone was fairly subdued and um, and somber? Well, it, it sounded like a funeral to me when I when I dialed into it, and uh, it, it was it was very you know Steve is normally pretty animated on those calls, and he was quite a bit less, and he, his answers very often were one word yeses or noes. He didn't really get too too far into a lot of details or expound, except. Uh, it, during a, a, a few lengthy tangents into sort of presidential economic politics, uh, which which precluded a possible run, you know, in 20, uh, whenever it is that uh, Mr. Wynn decides he wants to run. But uh, it, it was it was not uh, the normal happy affair from those guys. Yeah, I definitely got the same the same vibe. I mean, it was interesting to hear them. In some ways, you know, obviously everybody is hurting in the industry, but what I one of the things that I thought was interesting was them talking in somewhat open terms about uh, you know, the fact that they're kind of not used to having to chase customers. Um, you know, it's it sounded like they they are basically they're experimenting with all kinds of different techniques to bring people in the door, which is kind of funny because you know, a lot of other properties have to do that all the time, and it's not like they don't compete hard for their for their business. But it, I guess, it gives a little bit of perspective that for a long time, especially in the boom times, they were able to coast to a certain degree on their reputation as you know a, the highest the highest end place in town or one of, uh, and didn't really have to go out seeking people. And now they're trying to come up with the right formula to bring people in. And they also alluded to the fact that they, that they brought in some customers that. They'd rather not bring in again. I guess there are some of their marketing strategies uh, brought in some folks that I guess didn't spend what they were hoping or were not properly targeted. But it was interesting to hear them talk about that in just such frank terms instead of just uh, you know saying something like we're working on it. They were they were expressed that they were actively trying to tweak their formulas to figure out how to bring people in. All right. Well. The next thing, uh, yeah, that's that's win. You know, I mean, like, you know, there's, I don't know how much there is to say. I, I that the, you know, as, as these quarters go on and on, and and everyone has sort of sketchy, um, well, I'm not sketchy, but everyone has sort of down, depressed results. I mean, it, it is what it is, right? <laughs> they just continue, um, and hopefully they will recover. But uh, Hunter, it, it would probably be good to uh, to note to the the tourist component, the folks, the interested tourists who are listening here is that uh, you best grab your uh, cheap win room rates ASAP because they pretty much pulled the plug on the uh, on the fire hose there booking everybody anywhere anytime anyhow so yeah I mean uh, you know we said it before and I'll then you're good to remind us I mean you know if <clears throat> take the deals while you can but they may not last who knows even at 80% occupancy, the, they they may not be extending some of the incredible deals that we've seen in the last couple of weeks. Um, next up, there was a story that made the rounds uh, pretty significantly about um, card counting and a piece of software for the uh, Apple iPhone. Um, this story was interesting because there was a, a, a piece in the RJ that talked about a piece of software for the iPhone that basically allowed was an aid to card counters, blackjack card counters. Um, now, card counting is not illegal in the state of Nevada, but using an electronic device 
to uh, to assist in gaming is. Um, and so I guess the uh, gaming control apparatus had issued a warning about this particular piece of software. Um, you know, I thought this was interesting because this piece uh, really, I guess, struck a chord with people. I saw this um, all over the web on Dredge Report, uh, a lot of technical uh, technical journalists picked it up. It was widely reported once. I guess it just <clears throat> really captured people's imagination. Um, but, you know, at the same time, the way that the piece was written, I, I it reminded me um, that sometimes the gaming industry is a little bit slow to uh, deal with technology. Um, now, I'll say up front that I think game protection is very important. You can't have a casino without uh, without it, and I definitely don't advocate cheating in any way, shape, or form. But the way that the piece was worded, it almost sounded like they were contemplating some reactionary policies to deal with it, you know, to basically uh, something that maybe isn't well understood to uh, to sort of to take it away. Now, I'm curious, has anybody seen seen this in action, seen anyone using something like this? I never have. Uh, I, I, you know, I can't imagine, they try to imply that, and there is a, the software in particular does have a quote-unquote stealth mode, uh, but they tried to imply that you could somehow do this in a stealthy way that would that you'd be successful. I personally can't imagine that in um, you know real terms. Someone actually pulling that off. Um, has anybody actually seen anybody using something like this, uh, or even heard of it before this article came out? Design. No, I mean before the article came out, I read the memo on the Gaming Control Board page. It was a letter that um, the chairman of the Control Board sent to licensees, warning them that. Um, you know, their agents had heard of this software and maybe even observed it. I forget. But, um, you know, the, th the thing is, I mean, if, could somebody have, have used it? Probably. I mean, I've seen people sitting at their, at their casino seat, at their blackjack seat with, you know, a Blackberry or their phone in front of them. Now, how long they could go actually playing and occasionally touching, you know, the keyboard on their, you know, their their iPhone, you know, touching the screen where the the numbers are, you know, I, I that, that sort of strains credulity. But you know, I mean, I, I guess it's possible. Um, theoretically, someone could stand behind a table maybe and do it. Um, but they were worried. I think you know, in the stealth mode that they wrote about in the letter, um, I guess somebody would have to sort of have memorized where on the screen those numbers are and touch there with, you know, nothing apparent on the screen. But that would be very unusual, and you'd think a dealer or a pit boss would notice that or surveillance would notice it pretty quickly. So I think there was um, understandable sort of, uh, you know, humor from those in the iPhone and card counting community that this would be a viable method but you know the, you're you're right they are very sensitive to that on the casino side um card counting is not illegal electronic devices are what i want to see someday is someone sit at a table with an abacus um, <laughs> you know it's not electronic um they, but you're obviously counting um you know they would it, it would probably irritate the hell out of the casino they'd back you off and wouldn't let you play but um it would at least it would at least be amusing to me no that's great you, uh, do that, you know you could do that with a stack of chips too you know instead of being so obvious with an abacus but well i i was just kidding but 
yeah, people do that with chips. I mean, they're definitely, the, the, and, and, and if you are fidgeting around with your chips and making different size piles, they will try and figure out what you're doing with them. There's no doubt about it because people do use their chips to, you know, maintain a count because it's tough to do. My, my, my ahead, thoughts about, the, about, the, uh, about this application are uh, a, a couple here, but, um, you know, no matter what device or thing or something comes out, Somebody is going to sell something that is going to beat the casino. You know, for as long as there have been casinos and there have been things to write things down on, you know, there's been a book and a pamphlet and a, you know, a device. And then somebody's going to, you know, come up with the idea of building that thing I'm sure you guys know about that they have that, uh, uh, I think it's at, uh, I can't remember the tribal casino in San Diego. They actually have it in a display case, but the thing with the, this guy built this belt battery pack thing with a foot switch, you know, that would send, you know, a, a wireless signal to somebody else who was wearing, like, glasses and would flash a light when he should bet more extra money, you know. So I could see somebody, like, standing behind the table with their hand in their pocket. There's three buttons on an iPhone. There's four buttons if you count the big one in the bottom. But if you're just hitting the two, like, the volume up and down, up and down, up and down, and then when that thing, you know, buzzes, in your pocket, like somebody behind it buzzes in their pocket, and they know the count's up. And they can go and just say, hey, do you want a drink to your friend? And then their friend will know, hey, you know, the count's really far in my favor, and it's time for me to start pushing out some bets. Like, yeah, I'd love to get a drink, you know, and act it up. You know, so in terms of team play, I could see it working great. But if you're sitting at a table, uh, you know, with your phone out, forget it. You're going to get booted for that. You know, if you're messing around in your pocket and then you start showing signs of counting, then you're going to get booted. I think really the reason, the function of the announcement is just to remind, possibly, you know, is, is to remind boobs who are going to buy this stuff for their iPhones who think that they can do this and get away with it, that, you know, should you try it, there are serious uh, consequences, you know, and it's not, it's, not, it's not a video game on your iPhone. It's like serious jail time. So I think sending out the announcement is actually a really good thing for for folks to, to know, you know, you can really get thrown in the can for this. I think, you know, the, the, what, bring, what, it, what it reminds me of, though, more and more is that the, these kinds of things, I think sort of almost what you also what you alluded to, these kinds of things are only going to continue. And obviously the gaming control apparatus has had to deal with all kinds of crazy ideas about people coming up with ideas how to cheat. But, you know, as technology becomes even more pervasive, personal technology becomes really a standardized thing where people more and more have pretty advanced devices that they carry, whether they're phones or whatever. I mean, this is only going to, the potential for this is only going to increase, and Nevada and other jurisdictions are really going to have to make sure that they have people involved in gaming control that are up-to-date on technology, are very technology-savvy, um, and, and just as an industry that hasn't always, I would not always put the term technology savvy and gaming together. Uh, I hope that that changes more going forward. That they <laughs> that they work harder to sort of uh, to, to be on the cutting edge and and to understand these things because it's going to become even more important going forward as technology continues to improve. So it was an interesting story. I definitely got a kick out of it when I saw it, and it was even more interesting to see. Uh, how far it spread because obviously it's something that a lot of people were at least interested in. They like the idea of the of the software. And I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I hope I'm sure someone did this. I don't know how well 
this guy's the guy's uh, the guy selling this program. How well his sales spiked after all this news? But it would be interesting to see if he got uh, a big boost. Um, the next thing I want to talk about uh, actually is something that Dr. Dave created, which were uh, which was an analysis of the um, the gaming win figures for the great state of Nevada. Uh, for 2008, and I think you've done this in the past, isn't that right, Dave? Yeah, I have. I've done it since 2004, so now I've got five years of just, you know, the digest there right up on the website if people want to look at it. And I'm also, as soon as I get a little bit of time, I'm going to do a little comparative thing where I'll track the trends since 2004, which was when the gaming revenues really started to take off after the post-9-11 bust. So it, I think it'll be pretty interesting because we'll see it kind of rise and peak and then fall pretty dramatically. Yeah, now I want to talk about a few specific figures because I printed these out and actually printed out 2007 also and I was looking at them back to back. And unsurprisingly, down I think 1.2 billion since in the last year, which is, you know, I think you would expect it to be down. But there were a couple of figures that jumped out at me because they were they were so different and I'm wondering, I was just curious if anybody had any thoughts on an explanation. Um one that didn't surprise me was a big a big uh, trend down was Baccarat. Obviously, high-end play in a bad economy continues to go down. But um, one thing I noticed between 2007 and 2008 was uh, three-card poker actually increased by about $25 million, um, which I just thought was interesting. That, did the game suddenly become uber popular? <laughs> was there a rule change or something that, in, that changed the odds? I mean, I'm just wondering if anybody has any insight on why you'd see a big – in terms of units, that's a significant jump based on some of these other trends. Why it would, Harris uh, ran a, a, uh, like a big promotion all year long. Or, or actually in 2007 a, a little bit, and then in, into 2008 for some kind of a championship of of uh, of three card poker. So I'm not sure if that could be related to one company, but you know we're still talking about a relatively small game, small number of tables compared to blackjack and and others. Right. But I think that there was more promotion from the casinos to players of that game. It's it's a it's a carnival game with a huge casino hold and and so anytime they can get people to move from blackjack or or uh dice um to a game like that, casinos are gonna be happy. Now the other big change that I wanted to ask about and, and I'm not a big sports better, so maybe someone can explain this to me. Football bets. Um in two thousand two thousand eight, thirty nine point three one um, 2007, 73.5 million won, which is a pretty significant difference. I mean, it's granted that that's the win percentage, so I guess they could have just been extremely unlucky in 2008. But what what would be responsible for a, a dramatic shift like that? Well, they were pretty unlucky with the Super Bowl, with the Giants winning in early 2008. That really hammered them. If you notice that the win, the hold percentage or win percentage dropped from six and a quarter in 2007 to three and a half for. 2008. And I can't do that math in my head, but that definitely makes up for some of it. So I think when you combine that with the fact that people were betting a little bit less money because people, fewer people were coming, I think that explains most of it. I think for next year, even if the even if uh, the win is down, it's going to be uh, a pretty. It, it's going to still be probably about 30% of the total win or more for um, the sports book. I mean, it was the first year ever where books won more money on basketball than they did on football. So that tells you something right there. Now, you know, football has a lot fewer games, but the volume per game is ob- obviously dwarfs any other sport. And 
and uh, basketball won for the 12 months 43 million. Ba- football only won 39 million. Basketball up 16 percent. Um, football down 46 percent. But you're right, the house edge was very narrow um, for football, three and a half percent, or three, you know, 3.5, and then basketball is 5.89, which is probably pretty typical. Um, you know, the the players just did better, um, and you know, and in, in, in that kind of a um, in 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 sports betting, you know, it's it's player against casino. It's not paramutual. It's player against casino. So if the players pick better, the casinos are left with the bad side of the bets, um, and that's what happened. Dave, are there any other figures in here um, that jumped out at you or anything else about the data that you think that is worth mentioning? Yeah, I think it's interesting that statewide um, penny slots were up, and penny slots were up on the strip too. Um, but megabucks was also one of the things that didn't really get hit too bad. I think they were down – only about 13% as opposed to nickel slots were down about 23% for the strip. So, you know, I think it's interesting that the two areas of slots that are growing are penny slots and megabucks, or at least megabucks isn't shrinking Hmm. as much. I think that says something. Um, Just a couple of other interesting things, how some of the, you know, like craps didn't decline as much as blackjack, or obviously Baccarat, I think that's interesting. You know, maybe Craps is picking up on popularity. I don't know. Um, but it's definitely a, a pretty off year as far yeah, as it go. Looking at the number of gaming positions, you know, it's actually fairly static between the two years. I think the, the number of slot machines increased by, like, 20. <laughs> it, yeah. it, there, the, the volume of, uh, of actual games is about the same, which makes it even more interesting to compare the figures um, the dollar, the win figures, which, you know, aren't necessarily all that pretty. But um, it is very interesting to see the breakdown like this. And one, one, one stat that I found interesting is, and Dave mentioned the penny machines, penny machines are taking up increasingly large portions of the slot floor. Um, the number of machines in the state um, went up by less than 1,000 over the year. But during the year, there's almost 2,000 more um penny machines um, at the end of the year than there were at the start of the year, 37,000 um, of the state's 172,000 machines. Now, of course, we're, not, we're only talking about non-restricted casinos with 15 right. or more mm-hmm. slots. All the, you know, there's, it's rare that there would be penny machines in, in bars and convenience stores and the kind of places that have less than 15 devices. But um, penny machines have taken over, as have multi-denomination machines. Um, and that's sort of that's a problem for people who want to compare numbers year over year because a lot of times casinos sort of swap what used to be a quarter machine for a machine that lets people play a range of games, um, you know, anywhere from a penny up to, you know, a couple bucks. And so uh, multi-denom has been a pretty big growth area. It was flat or almost flat in 2008. But uh, penny, pennies were the big growth area. One of, the, one of the metrics I found most interesting was that um, even though the 12-month average for 2008, the slot hold number of 6.16 was just slightly better um, than it was um, the prior year, 
um, better, slightly better for the casinos. That number dropped every quarter um, down to 5.81. Um, so the slot hold almost definitely, if that trend holds, the slot hold, and this totally does not square with all the anecdotal things you read online and in comments about people saying, oh, they're making the machine so tight because the slot hold is um, is much better. Now, there's a couple reason, ways that could happen. When the slot hold um, reduces, in other words, the casinos are taking more or taking less money out of every dollar bet, and it dropped to 5.81% in the final quarter of the year. There's only a couple ways that could happen. Um, it could be that new casinos open introducing really low hold machines, but when you look at the casinos that opened in 2008, there was Aliante Station, maybe they would do it, but almost certainly Encore and Palazzo would not have done that. Um, so that's one possible explanation, but I don't give much credence to it. Another would be that um, casinos, because they're losing business, are trying to lower hold as a, as a competitive advantage and lure people in. But you really haven't seen that matched in marketing materials. If you're going to do it, you're going to market it. And we really haven't seen that in terms of the marketing. Um, and the most interesting explanation, the third explanation is that, and, and it's one that you know nobody buys, um, particularly on the strip, which is the state's 50% dominant market. Um, nobody ever gives strip players credit for having the ability to choose better payback machines. But uh, I think in this, this year, we may have to start giving the consumer a little more credit um, because the, the – uh, and, and that would be players choosing to play, you know, video poker over slots, choosing to play machines that have better paybacks, doing the full pay rather than the partial pay machines. Um, and that trend that I mentioned is even more apparent on the strip where – the, the hold was 7% for the year as a whole, but down an amazing, down to an amazing 5.91 for the fourth quarter. Um, that is a huge move in terms of slot hold percentages, you know, for during the course of a year, for it to go for the whole year for seven and for a quarter down to 5.91. Um, it is an emerging trend that slot managers are aware of. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see if they're going to continue, um, you know, what their reaction will be. If it's consumer-driven, um, you know, they're sort of in a bind. Um, if it is slot, if it's slot director-driven with better paybacks on machines and, lo and therefore lower holds, um, it will be interesting to see if they can keep it up because um, certainly the slot win, you know, dropped, you know, pretty severely over the year. Well, here's a weird thing as far as that goes. The two machines, the one machine that grew was the, was a penny machine, and they've got, I'm looking at the numbers for the strip, they have an 11.71 win percentage. Um, so the for the year. Actually, yeah, but the machine that holds the most, 
which is way more than which is a little bit more than nickel machines, but way more than dollar machines. Megabucks. The machine that holds both. Yeah, I mean megabucks is also around. The weird thing is that megabucks also didn't get hit as badly as other ones, and they've got a whole percentage of about about also of about twelve percent. You know, now that of course is because people are playing that, looking for that life-changing jackpot. But it's really strange that as consumers seem to seek better bargains, are going towards what's actually a worse bargain. Um, and according to the numbers, they probably hold about twice as much money playing dollar machines as they would playing penny machines. That's true, and yet you can play a penny machine that'll cost you three dollars a pull, just yeah. like you could play a dollar machine that's three bucks that uses three coins. But if if you look at that same table, Dave, the win percentage for pennies over the year eleven point seven one over the fourth over the 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 final quarter of the year eleven point two and December ten point nine. Yeah. So you can see that the trend over the course of the year is down. And 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 so the explanation is even if players are moving towards pennies, which is a higher hold device typically than what they've been playing, although pretty darn close to nickels, um, and a lot of those players probably were nickel players, um, they are still moving somehow either because the the casinos are giving them more generous payouts or. From what the, the people I talk to, I think that they're starting to give a little credit to the, uh, the the idea that maybe players are figuring out and seeking out games that offer them, you know, a little bit longer play, um, which would mean that the, you know the hold was a little a little thinner. Um, you know, I, to me that's very interesting because um, it's like when you read like the comments on any gaming story published in any newspaper. If you look at the Sun or the Review Journal, probably even you guys blog sometimes, you get these you know slot players who you know they get you know they come to Las Vegas and like I could only play for two hours. I used to be able to play for eight hours or you know these companies all their machines are so tight I never can win. And it's you know there's sort of a mentality of slot players that the the casinos are sitting up there in their offices programming in you know tighter and tighter paybacks. Um, that doesn't appear to be the case over the year. Um, either that or consumers have just gotten a little bit smarter. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Sort of, oh, go ahead, Chuck. Uh, yeah. Um, would it possibly be not that the consumers are getting smarter, but this, this, the ones who are still going to Vegas are the more experienced ones who are just more into it? You know, this is just part of what they do. Absolutely possible. If the players, if if the inexperienced players or the players who still have money left to gamble are the ones who are smarter, that would have the same effect. That is absolutely right. I still don't see how the penny slots can be increasing so much. How they actually increase so much over the year, though, if they're if they're really looking for a better deal, they would have been better off playing the you know playing the quarters or dollars beginning of the year. Absolutely, yeah, than they are playing but, pennies. But you can see that even though I mean that exactly what you described did happen mm-hmm. at the start of the year or during the year there were eight thousand eight hundred and twenty nine penny machines. By December, there's nine thousand four hundred and seventy eight penny machines just on the strip. Yeah. The number is the gap is even wider statewide with about almost 2,000 more penny devices. And yet, during that same time, with more devices and more play, 
with those not, the play not going down, you're seeing the 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 whole the win percent dropping. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know if that so even though people are moving to that higher paying device, um, the overall the overall win percentage is dropping. Now it may be that you're you're seeing the more severe drops on some of the other games, um, and you certainly see it at the dollar and the quarter and the nickel level pretty dramatically at all those each down by more than one full percentage point. Yeah, and as far as the perceptions of the machines being tighter, I'm totally convinced that if we had a time machine and went back to 1899 <laughs> and the invention of the Liberty Bell slot machine, I swear to God, the week after they installed it, people would be saying, you know, they really tighten it so much. It's not the way it used to be. That is a great point, Dave. That's, I like that's it. all you hear, and I've never heard, I've never seen anything written with anybody saying, wow, they loosened up the slots it's right. so much better. The good old days mentality, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's hilarious. Nobody ever says, like, oh, you know, I came to Vegas 10 years ago and I couldn't get comped anything, and now it's great. <laughs> Even with the room rates dropping by, I don't even know, never hear people saying how much better it is than it was a year ago. Uh, that's so true. That's hilarious. It's a known fact that the people who sell sour grapes are usually louder. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Uh, well, it's it's a, it's a cool set of numbers. Um, you know, it's great that you are doing some analysis and breakdown on this stuff, Dave. I, I will definitely link to this in the show notes for those that want to get to see some of these figures, if you haven't already. It'll be interesting to see in the future, as server-based gaming supposedly someday becomes deployed widely, if that has any kind of an impact, it'll probably be hard to detect. But at that and other technologies, it'll be interesting to see how those impact um, these kinds of figures um, but before we run out of time, the last thing I want to talk about today is a new resort opening in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, well, I think it's Henderson proper. Um, this Sunday, M Resort is opening um, uh, uh, at Las Vegas Boulevard and uh, St. Rose Parkway, I believe. Um, M Resort is a project developed by uh, Anthony Marnell III, which he was the son of uh, Anthony Marnell, who... Uh, has been a long-time builder in Las Vegas, responsible for building hotels like Bellagio, Win Las Vegas, Treasure Island, uh, the Rio, Mirage, et al. Um, re- operated and ran the Rio for some time before selling it to uh, Harrah's. Um, this is a new property located out there. It's going to be interesting to see how well it does. Obviously not an ideal time to open, but, uh, you know, personally, I think it's uh, the, the kinds of things that they are emphasizing make it sound like uh, you know, at least on paper, they have some good ideas and what hopefully is a, a winning formula. There, in some cases, some actual innovations. I think that, um, and someone can correct me. They have a pharmacy in the in the hotel for guests and also the employees. I don't think has anyone else done that before. No, no. Never. Which is an interesting. You know, I like I like the idea of a, an operator thinking outside of the box, coming up with some new ideas, um, however small they may be. Um, Dave, I, think, I was going to ask Dave. Don't you think that that would work for those bus visitors in Atlantic City? Oh, God, yeah. And I was just thinking, <laughs> it made me think, it's weird that at Samstown they think that you need, like, a leather store, that leather <laughs> store in Samstown and, like, that kind of stuff, and, of course, the liquor stores and the coast casinos, and nobody ever thought of pharmacy. You know? Yeah, I mean, it seems like a somewhat obvious thing, but it seems like a good idea. Well, I think that they need to make sure, if, just, just looking at the clientele of the casinos, it seems like that would have been a no-brainer. I think they next need to... Uh, to break out like the oxygen tank resupply, <laughs> and uh, you know maybe uh, 
maybe those uh, adult diapers and uh, and you know now then again there but for the grace of God go I so um, but you know the, you certainly uh, will be uh, hitting the bread and butter of the locals casino if you can appeal to the folks who use the pharmacy the most so it was a well, genius two, move there's two things about the pharmacy uh, I believe one of the joints in AC has an employee's pharmacy uh, inside of it, uh, and just, just I'm sure you guys know this, but there is a mobile pharmacy outside of uh, Margaritaville, and it goes up to Harris, and sometimes it comes a little down south to uh, O'Shea's and whatnot. Well, but um, you know, I thought that was just your car. <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> a different kind of mobile pharmacy. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, one thing that's interesting about the M is, if I if I did my calculations right, uh, it, the cost comes out to about two and a half million dollars a room. Cause at 400 rooms and a billion dollars, that's actually more than your per room for places like Encore. Or well, but I mean, look at it. I mean, that's the same. I mean, Red Rock is the same. It's just not fair to judge those properties as a per room investment only. The the significant money goes into the casino and food and beverage. Um unlike you know, a property like Wynn sinks a whole lot of that those billions into the rooms themselves. Not to say the rooms won't be nice, they will be, but they're not going to be wind quality rooms, just like Red Rock rooms are very, very nice and probably you know, the hotel at Mandalay Bay style, not quite, you know, win or encore style. Now, uh, I I do plan to be um, on site for the opening on Sunday. Um, and if any listeners happen to be there and see me, be sure to say hello. Um, I'm curious about buzz and the buzz, you guys, especially that you Las Vegas residents are hearing. I mean, are you – starting to feel it ramp up at all um, in the valley, or is it sort of a sleepy opening? Well, I don't live in the southwest valley. or that, This is actually in the south, and I don't live right next to it on the east side, which would be like Anthem and Seven Hills. But I can tell you that, like, my uh, assistant editor and a couple of my reporters and uh, and folks have received mailers, big coupon books, all kinds of, including like their first $20 copay at the pharmacy. Um, you know, they're aggressive marketers. They have very good commercials on TV. People have a lot of, of memory of the, uh, of the Rio. Um, I think the newspapers have done, have, you know, covered it pretty extensively. I know we sent our reporter Rick Villata out there. He'll have a great Q&A with Tony Marnell. It'll be available online tomorrow on uh, LasVegasSun.com and InBusinessLasVegas.com. He also has a good story previewing the competition in the southern market. Liz Benston talked to Tony Marnell and had a good story in the Sun yesterday. Um, and we'll have a few folks out there Sunday, Sunday evening um, sending posts to the website about the opening. Um, but, you know, is the buzz bigger than Red Rock? Probably not. Bigger than Aliante? Probably. Um, it's a little more highly trafficked part of town, I think, for most folks in town than Aliante is. So, um, But, you know, same, same price range. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it'll be, you know, it's, it, it's obviously a horrible time to be opening a casino, but, uh, you know, the good news is that it's all uphill from there, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll be blogging about it and Twittering about it as well, and I'll put the links for that stuff 
into the show notes in case anybody wants to follow along. Um, there's a, <clears throat> a bunch of uh, opening activities, I guess, planned for Sunday evening. We'll see uh, how interminable they end up being. Hopefully, hopefully it will be interesting. But it sounds like an interesting place, and given their track record, um, you know, I uh, I'm really curious. So we'll see how it how it turns out. Could be could be very cool. Hopefully it is. Um, I think that's going to do it for today, gentlemen. Um, I want to thank you all for being here. I'm going to go around the table so you can tell people where they can find you. I'm going to start with Jeff Simpson. Where can people track you down? InBusinessLasVegas.com and LasVegasSun.com. Dr. Dave Schwartz, where can people find you? Gaming.unlv.edu and DiasCast.com. And Mr. Chuck Monster. VegasTripping.com and maybe uh, by the time this is posted at uh, Caesars, Indiana. All right. I, you're not going to go work for Columbia Sussex, are you? You're never going to come back. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not coming back. I'm going to go talk to Bill and uh, you know tell him what I think about stuff that he's probably not supposed to talk about. Yeah, share your plan for getting the Tropicana AC back. Um, my name's Hunter. I'm at rakevegas.com. Thank you to all and have a great weekend.